Thor and his party agreed to travel with Skrymir towards Utgard. Skrymir offered to carry Thor's food in his bag, and Thor agreed. Then Skrymir bound all the food in one bag and laid it on his own back. He went ahead of them and stepped with very great strides. But late in the evening, Skrymir found night quarters under a great oak. Then Skrymir said to Thor, I'm going to lay me down to sleep, and do ye take the provision bag and make ready for your supper. Thereupon Skrymir slept and snored hard, and Thor took the provision bag and set about to unloose it. But such things must be told, as will seem incredible. He got no knots loosened, and no thong ends stirred, so as to be looser than before. When he saw that his work might not avail, he became angry, gripped the hammer Mjolnir in both hands and strode with great strides to that place where Skrymir lay, and smote him in the head. Skrymir then awoke and asked, Has a leaf fallen upon my head? Have you eaten, and are you ready for bed? Skrymir, we are just about to go to sleep, said Thor. It must be told that there was no fearless sleeping. At midnight, Thor heard how Skrymir snored and slept fast, so that it thundered in the woods. Then he stood up and went to him, shook his hammer eagerly and hard, and smote down upon the middle of his crown. He saw that the face of the hammer sank deep into the giant's head, and at that moment, Skrymer woke and said, What is it now? Did some acorn fall on my head? Or what is the news with thee, Thor? But Thor went back speedily and replied that, I was just awakened myself. It is only midnight, and there is yet time to sleep. Thor meditated that if he could strike him a third blow, never should the giant see himself again. He lay now and watched whether Skrymir were sleeping or soundly yet. A little before the day, when he perceived that Skrymir must have fallen asleep, he stood up at once and rushed over to him, brandished his hammer with all of his strength, and smote upon that one of his temples, which was turned up. But Skrymir sat up and stroked his cheek and said, Some birds must be sitting in the tree above me. I imagined, when I awoke, that some dirt from the twigs fell upon my head. Art thou awake, Thor? It will be time to arise and clothe us. And now you have no long journey forward to the castle called Utgard. You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean. How's it going? David, it's going great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's, uh, this week, it's been nice. Like I said, I'm working working for myself now. I got a little more time. Fantastic. I think on Friday, I'll have a little more time, especially to do some a uh, little more like creative writing and things like that I've been I've been looking forward to. But uh, how about you? How, um, how was your uh, your trip to Richmond for your birthday? It was good. We, um, we had dinner. We went to a few breweries. Nice. What's your, uh, what's your drink this week? Oh, it is. Um, you're going to appreciate this. Um, today I am drinking Calvert Brewing's Excellent Adventure IPA. Where, now, where do you, where can you pick those up? Or did you find it in Virginia? Uh, yeah. So I actually found this at the, the Trader Joe's in Alexandria. Nice. I've, I've never tried that, but I'm going to have to, when I get a chance to get out there. Yeah. And I, so I also, since last episode, I know we briefly mentioned a character named Fialar that appears in some like quotes in Norse mythology. And I think you made a joke about how, or like I, I made a joke about how, like I saw that it was like a rooster, like when looking at the Wikipedia page. Right. It's been used then, as a name for like some giants and dwarves. And then there's a rooster too, which I find very funny. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. We, I think, uh, yeah. Last week we discussed how fialar could also just be like another word for deceiver, yeah. and then you made a joke about the quote from I think Vallespa that we may have read, and you made a joke about how it's the roosters of the apocalypse. Yeah, there's not um, just one rooster named Fjallar, There are three roosters of the apocalypse of Ragnarok. Yeah, but I also just thought it was funny. I was like, oh, like that'd be funny if the Norse equivalent of the four horsemen of the apocalypse were three roosters. Yeah of the apocalypse. So I actually typed in the words, uh, three roosters of the apocalypse. And this book came up. It's a book on global warming, where based on the review that I read, it's people who are like yelling that we need to be worried about global warming are the roosters. And it's funny, because like, if you look at global warming as like some catastrophic event, then in this case, the roosters would be potentially the roosters of the apocalypse. Is it the roosters that nobody's listening to? Is that what the book suggested? Or? I, I don't, I didn't read it, but no. like I, I did read the reviews and it might just kind of be like those that are, you know, alarmist about it. Well, and, you, and you said it was like a little bit anti, either anti-capitalist or something like that. Um, or, or like the roosters are anti-capitalist or yeah. something. So we, we well, obviously don't have to go into that, but I just thought it was kind of funny. Well, no, but, what, it, what it made me uh, think about, you know, it goes back to recognizing like symbols and things. So the three roosters are Fialar and Goldcomb, and there's a rooster who's uh, nameless, right? So it's like, so what are the, what are the three... Uh, roosters of the apocalypse, right? It's Fialar means deception. That gold comb maybe is something about like wealth and uh, um, greed, right? And then, and then there's the the rooster whose name shall not be spoken, something about like the harbinger of death. So I thought maybe these these roosters have something important to tell us. But, did yeah. you did you just make that up based on the notes I read? I, I, <laughs> I made that up or... when you when you told me that earlier. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So that's not actually a thing. You just made it up. But I think only that's good. Uh, that's good fan fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Only in my head. Um, so it, real quick, I'll just go over the uh, the sources with that. In, in Vallespa, stanza 42, at least with Jackson Crawford's translation, he doesn't mention the name Fjallar. However, in some other translations, the name Fjallar is listed as one of the roosters. In this quote, near the Aesir sings the rooster named Golden Comb. He wakes the men who fight for Odin, lord of battle. But another sings below the earth, a soot red rooster in the halls of hell. Um, so again, this is the, uh, in Vallespa, it's a dead Cirrus who is awoken by Odin speaking. Next is Havamal, stanza 14, which again is Odin speaking, where he says, I was drunk. I was too drunk at Fjallar's house. The best kind of feast is the one you go home from with all your wits about you. So the next one, uh, which I, I, mentioned, I, I quoted last week, is from Harbar's Law, stanza 26. You have plenty of strength, Thor, but no courage. Like a prince of cowards, you got stepped on in a glove. You didn't look much like Thor then. You didn't dare sneeze or break wind for fear that Fjallar might hear you. Um, so we brought that up, obviously, because in the first part of Utgard Loki, Thor and company had to sleep in a glove, which they didn't realize was a glove. They thought it was a hall, only to find out it was the glove of a giant. Um, and then in the meat of poetry, one of the dwarves who killed Kabasir in, in that story was named Fjallar. So it is, it is kind of interesting to me, a Fjallar is a name that you see often in Norse mythology, but I just wanted to bring that up. So Yeah, no, and that idea of uh, deception, I'll come back to that at the end. So that's, it, it's not just that we enjoy the rooster story that we stick to it. It's very topical for what it makes me think about. For this the, entire story, yeah. What the myth means <laughs> to me, yeah, basically. And then let me actually read a little, want me to read the re- recap since uh, you'll be reading the next part? Yeah, yeah, sure, definitely. Yeah. Go ahead. So from last week, we did part one of this sort story about a uh, Thor goes out to Utgard Loki and his his castle. We'll discover that today. Last week, so Thor, he's uh, meeting with some farmers, you know, and their their children are Thialfi and Roskova, and they become Thor's servants because Thor gets so angry that they they were eating his goat, but it's his magic goat that comes back to life. 
uh, they broke the leg bone when Thialfi was trying to eat the bone marrow. And uh, now they are his, his servants for life. And Thor and his company, so they're traveling out, heading out east, I believe. And they find a, a abandoned place to, to sleep for the night. It's only when they wake up that they discover they were actually in a glove. They were sleeping. It, they thought it was a building, but it was a glove of a giant who is a Skrymir. We just did our, our own version of that uh, yeah, that we were reading for the intro. And that uh, over the course of that, they yeah, uh, Thor gets angry at him because he's snoring and Thor feels insecure is probably my interpretation. And, okay. uh, and Thor's trying to smash him in the head, but he is one of the mightiest of giants. He can't be killed even by Thor. And then they, they part ways at the end and, uh, they're, but yeah. they're getting close to Utgard Loki's hall. And let's see. So those were chapters 44 and 45 of, uh, Gilfagening. And this week is chapters 46 and 47, continuing the adventures of Thor to, uh, Utgard Loki's hall. Was there anything yeah, else, John? You wanted to make sure we covered? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So they, the foursome uh, continues their journey. They eventually arrive at Utgarda Loki's Hall, which is, insane, which is insanely huge. Thor approaches and is unable to open the gate, so he eventually has to squeeze between the bars to enter. When he does enter, he comes upon a large room with very large people sitting on two benches. And so here's I like some of the quotes and kind of the, the old language of this old translation of uh, how Thor meets Utgard Loki. So it says, Thereupon they came before the king, Utgarda Loki, and saluted him. But he looked at them in his own good time and smiled scornfully over his teeth and said, It is late to ask tidings of a long journey, or is it otherwise than I think that this toddler is Oku Thor? Yet though may be greater than thou appear to me, what manner of accomplishments are those which thou and thy fellows think be ready for? No one shall be here with us who knows not some kind of craft or cunning that surpass most men. So it's only only exceptional uh, giants and exceptional people here. Yeah, so it's you'll see here that Thor like kind of gets defeated when he can't open the door, similar to how he got defeated last week when he couldn't open up the food bag, and then he failed to kill Skrymir uh, three times. So here he enters in the king, Utgarda Loki, uh, makes a comment at his ex- at his expense, like who is this puny Thor? You would have thought the mighty Thor would be much bigger and more formidable than than this. So he's a uh, you know it's another kind of knock to Thor's uh, pride there. Um, and then Utgarda Loki states that anybody who stays in the hall needs to be able to compete in something that they are very skilled at, like whether you know a physical or mental uh, you know skill. He then asks the foursome, who is able to do this? And then we have the first introduction um, in this entire podcast, David, of Loki. Only Loki shows up. Yeah. Yeah. uh, The translation, I'll put it in the show notes that uh, says, then spoke the one who came last, who was called Loki. I know such a trick, which I am ready to try, that there is no one here who shall eat his food more quickly than I. That one rhymed, so I had to to put that one in there. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, David. So Loki says, I can beat somebody in the eating contest. So then Utgarda Loki nominates his guest, and this is where it's, it just gets very annoying with like the name, <laughs> with the different names here. Utgarda Loki accepts Loki's request for a fooding contest, but he nominates his guest Logi with a G to compete. So it's Logi, Loki versus Logi in this um, eating contest. They place a bunch of meat on a table, which Logi and Loki would begin eating from separate sides, ultimately meeting in, meeting in the middle as they ate. Then a trough was taken and borne upon the hall floor, filled with flesh. Loki sat down at one end, and Logi the other. Each ate as fast as he could, and they met in the middle of the trough. By the time Loki had eaten all the meat from the bones, but Logi likewise had eaten all the meat and the bones with it, and the trough as well. Now it seemed as if Loki had lost the game. Yeah, 
and I made a joke about this on a Twitter earlier this week as I was researching this episode. Just this seems like a horrible, like bullshit technicality, right? I was looking I mean, Loki, Twitter. I was hoping that was going to start a real uh, controversy, but it didn't seem like a uh, quite. <laughs> I don't think we're I don't think we're famous enough, but maybe one day. But it's funny because like if you think about it, like Loki just consumes everything in his like in his path. Whereas Loki, you know, the fact that he actually has to go in there and like pick the meat out from the bones, I think that's actually more impressive. But speed versus all the, just uh yeah, eating everything. Yeah. Yeah. So like you could argue that Loki won, but like I think just because it is a bullshit technicality, it should have been labeled a draw. However, Logi had home field advantage and everybody there decided that Logi was the winner and Loki lost the eating contest. And I think that goes back as as I think a lot of these uh, you know, things go back to kind of like smooth talking, right? So maybe even Utgarda Loki is a little bit of a smooth more smooth talker than even our regular Loki. Yeah. He couldn't talk his way out of that one to get a draw, right? Yeah. So, so, so like Utgarda Loki maybe, uh, you know, was like, oh, well, yeah, Loki, you clearly ate all your meats, but surely you didn't match up well against Logi who ate everything, including the bones. And, and like, Loki's like, but, but, but that wasn't the challenge. Nobody cares, Loki. Yeah. Yeah. So Loki got outwitted there, but he outwits a lot of people in future stories once we uh, begin our series on Loki. So then Utgarda Loki asks what competition Thiafi, who's Thor's servant now, could compete which they decided on a dash or a race. They all went outside. All the guests went outside and Thiafi was matched up against a giant named Hugi. Hugi on the race, when the race started, Hugi was able to finish so far ahead that when he got to the finish line, he turned around and was able to face Thiafi who hasn't even finished yet. They then raced a second time and Thiafi lost to Hugi by a bow shot. And then they raced a third time, and Thiafi was not even able to make it to the halfway point once Hugi finished. So he just got worse after after each race, and he just got severely humiliated. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's, because I think it was mentioned in the previous one that Thiafi's not just you know this farm boy that showed up, but he's supposed to be practically the fastest human uh, known to man. Still doesn't stack up in uh, Jotun. Yeah. yeah, and I guess maybe if he works on a farm and he's got like a, to pull like a plow or something, maybe he's got like strong legs or something. So maybe. Um, you know, so, uh, by the way, do we know that, Thi- like, I know you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, is Thiafi actually a human? Like, or like, does it yeah. state? I think he's supposed to be. I think they said the farmer was a, I'll go read up on it while you read the next part. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. Like we can, we can uh, just include in the show notes. But anyway, next up was Thor. Um, so naturally Thor's choice of a contest was a drinking contest. Utgarda Loki then had his servant fetch Thor a drinking horn and challenged him to drain the entire thing in three gulps. After the first gulp, the liquid only lowered slightly from where it was initially. Utgarda Loki makes another jab at Thor, stating he thought the mighty Thor would have surely been able to drink more in his first gulp. After the second gulp, the liquid only lowered slightly, again, after Thor nearly lost his breath from drinking so long. Utgarda Loki makes a comment about Thor's reputation if he is not able to drain the rest on the third. Thor tries to drink a third time. Then said Utgarda Loki, How now, Thor? Thou will not shrink from one more drink than may well be for thee. If thou drink the third draft from the horn, it seems to me that this must be his he esteemed the greatest. But thou cannot be called so great a man here among us as the Aesir call thee, if thou give not a better account of thyself in the other games. Then Thor (laughs) became angry. He set the horn to his mouth and drank with all his might and struggled with the drink as much as he could. And when he looked into the horn, at least some space had been made. Then he gave up the horn, and would drink no more. And Utgarda Loki said, Now it is evident that thy, thy prowess is not so great as we thought it to be, but wilt thou try thy hand at more games? 
Thor made a little dent in it, right? But still, yeah. Can't yeah, and he didn't even come close to finishing the entire horn. But then Thor is given another shot here. So Thor is challenged by Utgard Loki to pick up his cat off the ground. This is being Utgard Loki's cat, while stating that that is what little boys in his uh, area or his land do. So a large gray cat comes in. However, Thor was only able to barely lift up a paw. So Utgard Loki makes another joke at the expense of Thor's size and strength. Thor then asks to wrestle someone. This him being angry right now, so of course he wants to resort to you know physical strength um, by wrestling someone. So Utgard Loki refers to his nurse, an old woman named Ellie, to be his competitor. Thor lost after one of his knees fell to the ground by the old woman. So despite the group's failures here, Utgard Loki gives them shelter for the night. Really, so you get the this, vibe. Yeah, yeah this chapter should just be the the shaming of Thor, right? He's like, you're you know you're just a toddler here. This is what little kids do. They wrestle cats. And uh, I'm also just reminded how we had talked about a while back, I think you said, especially like Jackson Crawford says, you know, when we talk about the Yotun, we, they call them giants, but it doesn't mean they're giant. Like in a lot of stories, they're mm-hmm. similar sized to the, uh, the Aesir. But in this, this is the story where like, yeah, they're, they're giants. They're much larger than Thor. Yeah. And this also is interesting to me because like when we discussed um, the episode on Thor and his like duel with like Hrungir. Frunger gets killed by Thor, and there's also a nine-mile-tall clay giant, Smoker Kalfi, who wets himself in the presence of Thor. But you read in that story, which also comes from the Prosetta, that Thor, you know, just, or like, excuse me, Hrungir, for challenging Thor to this uh, duel, becomes like famous amongst the giants to where if Hrungir loses, all the giants feel that their hope is lost. But then you look at Utgard Loki, and Thor just gets insanely humiliated by him. So you wonder how like powerful Hrungnir was, but you also like look at another story and say, okay, well, like maybe the author says, how powerful do the gods need to be in this story? And it's like, if the story is Thor like gets humiliated and needs to grow as a result of it, obviously Utgard Loki is going to win. If there's a story about Thor and Hrungnir, where Thor needs to beat Hrungnir, obviously Hrungnir is going to be the most powerful of all the giants, but he's defeated by the mighty Thor. So anyway, we can we can move on. Did you have anything there? Yeah, no, I was just going to read the, uh, the the introduction to this part. Utgard Loki caused a table to be set for them, that there was no lack of good cheer, meat or drink. So soon they had eaten, he went out from the castle with them. And at parting, Utgard Loki spoke to Thor and asked how he thought his journey had ended, or whether he had met any men mightier than himself. Thor answered that he could not say that he had not got much shame in their dealings together. But yet I know that you will call me a man of little might, and I am ill content with that. Then Utgarda Loki said, now I will tell thee the truth. So this is kind of the next day, Thor's getting ready to leave, and he's going to reveal something. Yeah, and this is where it gets it gets funny. This closes out the chat. This is the beginning of chapter 47. By the way, when um, everything prior to this was 46. So Utgard Loki at this point, you know, away from earshot of his hall from his other guests, openly admits to actually being Skrymir from part one. The, yeah, the, yeah, just, just, the way, just the way he words it is he said, I made ready against the eye illusions and I came upon you first in the woods. So it's some kind of illusion magic that he's saying. That's how he was uh, Skrymir as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so he, he admits to being Skrymir, the giant from the previous week's episode. And he actually ties the food bag with the iron with iron wire because he knew that Thor could not open it. So when Thor was unable to get the bag open for his dinner, he wasn't able to do so. It's because it was rigged not to open. And with Thor, when Thor tried to kill him with Mjolnir while he slept, he actually almost succeeded. Utskarta Loki had moved a mountain in the way of Thor's hammer without Thor seeing there's that delusion. And the mountain itself became flattened. This was the way they worded it. Uh, 
thou did smite me three blows with the hammer. And the first was the least, yet it was so powerful that it would have sufficed to slay me if it had come upon me. Where thou saw near my hall a saddle-backed mountain cut at the top into three square dales, and one the deepest. Those were the marks of thy hammer. So that Thor created mountains by destroying, <laughs> or yeah, put marks into destroying mountains, right? Yeah, definitely. So then Utgard Loki slash Skrymir then reveals that Loki's eating contest was unwinnable since Loki was the manifestation of fire itself. And again, this is where I think Loki should have said, well, I still should have won and demanded like at least a draw, but he didn't. Yeah, I think I read, I think this was in um, one of the kind of like encyclopedias or dictionary of uh, uh, Norse terms that Logi might have actually been a Germanic fire god. And then actually this like where the name Loki comes from may actually have been like the trickster god from some traditions mixed together with the, the god of fire. You know, the, that fire is very tricky. Right? You can't, uh, you, know, you think you're making a nice fire in your fireplace and gets your whole house. Right? So that's Yeah. And that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't mention this as we went through the story, but in the, the version of the pro setup that I have, when it mentions Logi at first, it put in parentheses the word fire. Um, so that would be interesting, especially since Logi and Loki are so similar. So then Utgard Loki reveals that Thialfi's race was also rigged since Hugi was the embodiment of Utgarda Loki's mind, which travels faster than any person, god, or giant. That goes back if you're learning how to read some of these uh, old Norse words, right? That uh, Odin's ravens are Hugin and Munin. So Hugi is Hugin, is thought. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't make that connection. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that, that's good. We should just put two ends there and just pretend it was Hugin all along. Time, but right? it wasn't. It was Utgarda Loki all along. He also admits that Thor's drinking contest was obviously unbeknownst to Thor, from a horn where the other end was in the ocean itself. So Thor's gulps were so powerful that they created the tides. Yeah, I think we talked about that in a, one of the early episodes, how that's, that's one of my favorites, yeah. one of the most ridiculous. So this is how they, they word it originally. It says, uh, moreover, when thou didst drink from the horn, and it seemed to thee to go slowly, then by my faith, that was a wonder which I should not have believed possible. The other end of the horn was out in the sea, but thou didst drink, uh, thou did not perceive it. Now when thou comest to sea, thou shalt be able to mark what a diminishing thou hast drunk from the sea. This is henceforth called the ebb tides, right? So Thor created the tides because uh, he drank. And the mountains. Um, One of my other thoughts was that, you know, maybe part of how Thor was so easily deceived is were they getting him drunk before this, right? Is that maybe part of what makes Thor easy to deceive? Because we know Thor drinks from very large uh, ale mugs. And I actually read from Havamal stanza 14 earlier, which Odin says, don't drink too much or you're not going right. to enjoy the party. That's, that's where I made that. That's where I made that connection. I'm like, I'm not sure if that's what they're trying to say, but uh, that's my, my personal uh, theories. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. In this this upcoming one, I, I laughed at when I I read it because the first, like my in my first reread, I probably noticed it, but preparing for this week's episode, I kind of laughed a little bit. Um, Utgard Loki also reveals that the paw of the cat that Thor was successfully able to pick up was actually the Midgard servant, who we know is Jormungandr. So Thor lifting up the paw of this cat actually scared literally everybody in the room because he disturbed Jormungandr, the Midgard serp, the Midgard right. serpent. And then the old nurse that Thor actually wrestled was old age itself, um, which, as we know, Odin says, comes for us all. Yeah, that he's the sort of wrestling death, and he even gave it a pretty good uh, competitive wrestle until eventually it just pushed one knee down of his to the ground, right? Yeah, yeah and so Utgard Loki was more so impressed, he, uh, excuse me, impressed here that um, Thor only went down to one knee. Um, so he, he like gave it a fighting shot. So then after these revelations, again, away from his hall, Utgard Loki warns the group to never set foot in his land again, 
as he will prepare similar or worse trickeries on them. Yeah, I like the way they worded it. So it says, uh, it is truth to tell that we must part, and it will be better on both sides, that ye never come again to seek me. Another time I will defend my castle with similar wiles or with others, so that ye shall get no more power over me. When Thor heard all these sayings, he clutched his hammer and brandished it aloft. But when he was about to launch it forward, then he saw that Utgarda Loki was nowhere. Then he turned back to the castle, proposing to crush it into pieces. And he saw that there was a wide and fair plain, but no castle. So I like that. Just Thor gets angry. Thor wants to smash everything. Uh, Thor can't do anything about deception magic, illusion magic. Yeah, definitely. And then I see you included a note here. Thor angry, Thor smash. <laughs> yeah, Thor smash. Yep. <laughs> the MCU got it wrong. They put a Thor against uh, against Hulk in, was it the Ragnarok? Right. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok, yeah. So that's, I think, appropriately that they're matched up. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so that's that's the story. Um, well, actually, there's a little part here um, where they mention that after this humiliation, Thor goes back to his home, Thrudvanger, and as the Prosat states, he then decides to go after Jormungandr, as I mentioned, the Midgard servant for answers. Yeah, no, I missed that part, but I like that. Uh... It's like a continuation from Snorri kind of prepping for what comes next and it's yeah. ultimately thor's fishing trip which um i believe might be the episode that we do next week I think, or no, I think in we the next to. couple weeks yeah yeah i guess if snorri story wants us to we'll do that and we'll do a the wedding yeah. episode um after that but yeah so it was it was pretty interesting when i read that where you know Snorri's like oh yeah but then he went home and since like jormungandr was somewhat involved he went to go look for the serpent for answers and as we know snorri in his pro setta like he attempted to kind of give a chronological version of events in some cases next time next time on the adventures of thor exactly and i did want to include one note here um just from another source like i'm currently reading the uh i'm currently going through eagles saga which as i mentioned in previous episodes is from the saga the icelanders it mentions uh, an event that that took place in this episode so chapter 24 there's a little poem that's involved where Kvidolf, who is uh, is Egil's grandfather, says, The spinner of fate is grim to me. I hear that Thorolf has met his end on a northern isle. Too early, the thunderer chose the swinger of swords. The hag of old age, who once wrestled with Thor, has left me unprepared to join the Valkyrie's clash of steel. Urge as my spirit may, my revenge will not be swift. So I thought that was just a cool, uh, you know, introduction to when we ultimately do uh, Aegos Saga from the Saga of the Icelanders, but they yeah. do mention the cat there as well. Are you in the middle of uh, reading that now, the Saga of the Icelanders? Um, I'm in the middle of reading Aegos Saga, yeah. and I'm about, yeah, I think I'm about halfway through. Yeah, no, that's it's I, cool. I, I like it. I, I was reading through yeah, the, the Wikipedia, some of the cliff notes, because uh, you know I think that I want to get into those those hero stories of the the sagas eventually. Yeah, yeah. And, in uh, some cases, the sagas are like almost as cool as like the stories about the gods like i don't think they're as cool but if you sort of go through like the the stories of like the saga of the volsungs or the saga of the, like ragnar lothbrook one i look forward to a lot yeah 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 so we're gonna get to those eventually but should i go on to the to the next part yeah i just i just enjoy that story utgard loki uh thor's adventures that is some of the like you said the, some of those images of him you know trying to wrestle the cat and with the drinking horn and drinking the ocean that are good <laughs> yeah it kind of goes along like with the theme of Thor often failing, like he may win a duel against Shrugnir that involves a physical fight, but he will also lose to Odin, you know, when it comes to like a, uh, or the fleet, uh, the fleeting, excuse me, 
and he also loses here. He actually gets humiliated by Utsgard Loki through trickery because he is unfamiliar with trickery, just like he's un as competitive when it comes to words, you know, or verbal arguments as Odin is. It goes back that it, that it doesn't matter how strong he is, right? There's certain things you can't win just with strength, right? Even if Thor and with his hammer, right, can really kill absolutely anything unless he's tricked into hitting a mountain instead of your face, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if you can't see the trickery coming, right, then you can't you can't win, right? You don't, yeah, don't know what to do. So that's what I was, especially kind of inspired me to talk about the trickster archetype, right? Because we really haven't said a lot about regular Loki yet, but Utgard Loki, this is the only story he shows up in, I think, in all of the, the old sources. But it is that same idea of a trickster archetype, right? So I talked last time about the idea of the archetype, especially the hero, right? That like archetypes, it's a really big concept, right? You know, you use this term, you know, the trickster, and that means a lot of things, right? When you think about a hero, that means a lot of different things, right? We talked about the differences between Thor and like water jar boy from the, the, the native <laughs> mythology, favorite. right? They're very, they're very different, but they are both heroes, right? They have this hero-ness to them. And that's where, you know, Joseph Campbell's book, it's the hero with a thousand faces. He takes that entire book. I'm trying to think how many pages it is just to try to really explain what is the archetypal hero's journey, right? The cliff notes kind of, I think of, you know, how to say it briefly is the idea of the hero's journey is like the initiation from being an adolescent to manhood, right? What is it to be a, to be a man, right? To go from being a child to being a man. Every, every hero's story is actually kind of a metaphor for that. I think that's pretty accurate for me to summarize it that way. So it's like this journey, right? Thor, he's leaving the guard, he's leaving the safe enclosure, and he's hoping to come back with some kind of wisdom, right? Hopefully he learned something from this, right? goes back to this idea of kind of an archetype, right? It's, it's, many ways to ask the same question, right? So, so what is it that Thor comes back with, right? And it's similar to what, what is it uh, that reminds me of this quote from the Havamal, right? What is it that you need to take with you on an adventure, right? Odin says, a store of common sense, right? is the best thing you can take with you. And it makes me think that was a question we asked earlier. Why is Loki on this trip anyways, right? Other than eating very fast, what did Loki do the whole story, right? But Loki can kind of see deceptions, right? So hopefully he was trying to help Thor sort things out. Thor knows he can't necessarily see some of these deceptions coming, but hopefully that Loki would help him to try to see those things, right? Does that kind of make sense, John, or what are you thinking? Yeah, and I, I going back to your thoughts on like um, the hero's journey being the journey of somebody in like adolescence and then, yeah. you know, going to adulthood, I think Thor is the perfect example of that. Um, like, obviously, we've been discussing him over the last, uh, you know, few episodes now, but if you if you look at Thor, he's a very strong person like i, I kind of picture him here like i know he's much older than 22 years old but i feel i feel like he's like in his early 20s he's still trying to like find his place and you have in harvard's law his father odin destroy him in a verbal battle and then i know we mentioned in his duel thor's duel with thrunir like it, it could have been or orchestrated by odin like it's almost my head cannon now that odin did all of that knowing what was going to happen oh yeah is that and, he's setting up challenges for his son right that would kind of make sense i think yeah yeah. And in this case, you know, if he needed to leave um, Asgard to go to Jotunheim to like potentially bring back a life lesson, like in this case, wisdom, like don't go into any situation thinking it could be uh, defeated by brute strength. Like, what's he going to take from that? Is he going to take that wisdom or is he going to just take that rage back and then try to destroy the the Midgard serpent as a result of it? So it's it's yeah. uh, it's also on Thor how he kind of takes this humiliation and how he uses it to grow, or he just uses it to take revenge, which as we know, is a constant in these stories. 
And, and one thought of that, that image, because it, it comes up repeatedly, right, is Thor hiding in the glove, right? And then he comes out of the glove, right? And then similar, like water jar boy, he's inside the jar. And then, oh, and now he's out of the jar, right? There's a reason they put that image in so many places, right? And it shows up in our, when we're talking about it every time, I think, because it, it, it says something important about what you need to uh, reveal yourself to be like present to these threats. But then you're talking about right wisdom. And it's, I think this idea, part of what is, what is the trickster archetype include, right? It's not just tricking you, playing practical jokes, uh, causing problems. There's this side of, you know, being, being able to deceive others as well, right? That it has two sides. Um, so this is a, an interpretation I like. I don't know if I actually read this anywhere exactly, but that maybe in, within a person's mind, it also represents self-deception, right? Are you are you deceiving yourself, right? So when Thor kind of, what does he learn from this, right? On a very metaphorical level, right? How to not deceive himself, right? I think that's at least an interesting interpretation, right? And then that leads me to think about this idea of uh, Freudian uh, defense mechanisms. Sean, have you ever heard of the idea of a defense mechanism? It sounds a lot like, based on my understanding of it, it sounds a lot like the human ego. Yeah, it's, it's so it's it's... Defense mechanisms are when people get defensive, they're trying to unconsciously protect the ideas of a fragile ego. If you have a very secure ego, you don't need to, you're not going to be as likely to have to use defense mechanisms. But is this idea, it's, you know, so you don't have to face this idea of cognitive dissonance. I'm going into all these like psychology 100 terms. Uh, have you heard of cognitive dissonance? Uh, yeah, it's it's something that I, I think about a lot just because it's yeah. it's very, it's it's all over the place. Like in our world, if you like, or if you feel very strongly one way about like religion or politics, yeah. and let's say you see something that goes against your thoughts on it, your mind, as opposed to maybe being open to being wrong, is like you don't want to be a hypocrite, right? It's yeah, that's a very uncomfortable feeling. To, yeah. And yeah. you may just want to win. You just may want to say, tell yourself I'm right, right. Right. So you might want to just be like, well, no, like, you know, maybe this, this politician did this bad, but you know, yeah. it's really not that bad if you know, because the other side's worse or something like that. So you'll, you'll do these like mental gymnastics to make you right. And, you know, I think everybody, like everybody on this planet kind of falls victim to that, like maybe at different levels, but I think everybody, I think if you ask, like, if like, like 100% of the population, do you think you're a good person yeah. or do you think you're right? Or do you think um, you grow every day? Like I guarantee you a large majority of them, maybe some outliers are going to say, oh, absolutely. You know? Right. So here's what is a really good example. So like one of the defense mechanisms is called regression. So the idea is with a regression, right? Something threatens your ego and then you revert back to a younger stage. So sometimes that's used as an extreme, like when a person, you know, they you know, will start acting like they're, you know, a 12 year old or they start acting like a two-year-old, right? And maybe it's like they start acting like an emotional, you know, two-year-old, right? Or something like that. But even at a little bit milder level, right? Is just to say like, when things are very stressful, right? When you're, you know, it's something for, for one reason or another, you're very stressed. Maybe you revert back to kind of black and white thinking, right? Either seeing like a thing's all good or it's all bad, right? That maybe sometimes in your life, you've learned how to be more, right? Try to see the middle path to be more moderate. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll use this example with our, uh, our wonderful Washington football team, right? And whatever side of the political spectrum you fall on it, right? Like there's the one view as being like, and it's for true for myself, right? My grandpa liked this team. My dad liked this team. I sort of uh, inherited it, right? And it's a thing that matters to me, you know, my, my, the tribe I affiliate with is fans of the Washington football team, right? And so it's like, it's, it's, I don't like anyone to change that and change the name of the team, right? And then the other side would be like, you know, get over yourself. It's offensive. The team name is offensive. Just, just change it, right? So you, you go, right? People get this uh, very extreme on one side or the other, right? But to be able to see kind of, there's a middle ground that like, I, I like the team and I still feel like, I feel like a, I feel bad for liking it, right? Like, 
to me, that's actually accurate, right? That's, that's how I feel about it. Um, uh, so David, you do really have a new name, right? Yeah, I know. But uh, the, the, <laughs> the Washington, Washington Rednecks, was that right? Yeah, yeah, that's the name. Yeah, no, it's 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 the Commander. Yeah, I, I just pay enough attention to the media that I do know that part. Yeah, but um, I think that was like one of the joke names that people came up with, or like one of them was like the Washington Comrades or Commodores. I don't know. <laughs> In any case, I shouldn't I shouldn't bring them up, but I do. But it goes too right. If you're honest with yourself, right? It's like it's not just oh, just get over yourself and don't care about the team. It's like well, you know, I spent you know a number of years being a fan of this team so i feel something for it to change but then also i, I feel like a hypocrite if it doesn't change so yeah it's uncomfortable to sit with uh, cognitive dissonance that's my point yeah yeah definitely so besides regression right besides going back to either you know getting getting angry like no it has to stay they can't change the name never change it right um the, some other defense mechanisms right one is repression so this would be the idea of repressed memories what, what comes to your mind as you hear that, Sean? I think you, that term sometimes is thrown around, like a repressed memory. Um, I, I'm not too sure. Is it something that you just like, kind of don't remember from your past, but subconsciously you act like it's, you act on it every single day? Or it's the idea. No, it's one of the main ideas, just that you push it entirely into your unconscious, right? So it's a memory, but you don't remember it anymore, right? You, if you stop and try to think about it, maybe if, you know if something really brings it up to you, then it'll pop back. It won't be repressed anymore. But it's just that you know because knowing this thing or thinking about this memory is too threatening for one reason or another, right? Maybe it's childhood abuse is the example they often use. You just repress it, just never think about it. Mm -hmm. Or if it's like a thing about yourself that you don't want to know or think about yourself, easy to just, well, it's not easy, but what happens is you repress it, right? Until something brings it back up and then you're faced with the cognitive dissonance. Like you said, right? I did a bad thing. Oh, but I think of myself as a good person, right? So let's just not think about it, right? No one, mm -hmm. no one chooses to do it, but it's what the mind does to protect itself. That's the idea. What I really wanted to make sure I mentioned was a projection because we brought this up last week when you were, we were talking about how, you know, like I left the previous job. It, it, was, it was a fine job. I liked the job pretty well, but it is like in my last few weeks of it, I'm like, I don't want to be doing this anymore, <laughs> right? And then your, 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 uh, your insight, your intuition is like, well, once you stop hating that job, you're going to have to find something else to hate. Um, yeah. It's the idea that you, you will project that onto something else. The, the actual, the, the theory would be right. Is that like, maybe it's, maybe you hate the job for good reasons. Right. But maybe you hate your job and it's not actually that you hate the job, but maybe you hate something about yourself because you like, can't stand up to somebody at the job or you can't stand up to something. Yeah. And that's why you hate the job. Cause it's easier to hate the job than to admit that weakness about yourself. Right. The, the ego doesn't want to face that. Oh, I'm a person who can't be assertive in this context. Right. So it turns into. I hate my job. It's like, yeah, every job is going to be the same. The next job you go to, it'll be the same problem. Right. So that's, that's the reason why actually you got to find this kind of wisdom to, to make this defense mechanism conscious, right. Rather than it being unconscious that you don't know you're doing it. If you, if you know what these things are and you can, you know, generally it would be, you see Freud or a psychoanalyst and they've pointed out for you. Right. But if you can learn to see it for yourself, then you're like, oh, I am doing that. There's uncomfortable cognitive dissonance, but maybe I should figure that out about myself so I don't just do that same thing at the next job, right? That would be the, the idea there. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it definitely. No, it does. And it's like with projection, I think the way I have always thought about it is if you like are prone to accuse somebody of doing something or you're paranoid of somebody doing something, it, it might mean that you're like, you kind of fall victim to doing that stuff as well. Like, you know, that's, if the, you, that's even more common one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you, if you have like a, a partner and you, you think that they may be cheating on you, right. Um, like 
I feel like that might come from somebody that has cheated on somebody themselves, if that makes sense. That, that actually is a thing that, that you hear quite often when the, the person who is, they're accusing somebody of cheating, they're actually already cheating themselves, but then they go accusing the other person of it, right? Because they think that that's a thing people do, right? So they're very afraid of that happening because they, I was saying last week, right? It's like the worst, they know the worst thing they're capable of because they're already doing it. So they assume that the other person is very capable of that, even if the other person never would never do something like that, right? So, or there's like an assumption that that's how just everybody's minds work. Yeah. Yeah. If yours does. Right. And that's, yeah. And then the, and that goes to that. There's sort of this, this unconscious part of people where it's like, well, that's, that's something that's a potential in anybody, but if you have a strong ego, maybe you fight against that id um, urge to just, uh, yeah, I won't go too far on that. The, (laughs) the, the, The reaction formation though is, a defense mechanism that's, um, it's one I couldn't remember as I'm looking through the list. I think there's eight or 12 different, uh, defense mechanisms that Freud came up with. I couldn't remember what a reaction formation was, but I really enjoyed it when I read this and it made me think of something out of the news. So reaction formation says you do the opposite to avoid what you really feel, right? So kind of rather than projecting it onto somebody else, you, it's kind of the, the idea with the cognitive dissonance, right? Like I either could, I'm uncomfortable with the Washington football team's name, so I could stop watching them or I could just go like cheer for them even harder, right? It's kind of like, you don't wanna stay in that uncomfortable space, you wanna pick one. But the reaction formation is that you do the opposite of what it is you're actually feeling. So they, there's, here's an example, uh, kind of ties into our previous one, right? Let's say if, if a husband, he, he hates his wife because she cheated on him, but he can't admit that because that's not consistent with how he sees himself. He doesn't like to see himself as a person that hates people and he made a decision to stay with her, right? So it's not consistent with that either. So. So Sean, I'll ask you, how do you think, how, how would he overcompensate to prove that he doesn't hate her, right? What would he do? Uh, buy her flowers. Yeah, right. Do the, do the opposite. Do a lot of really nice things, right? And try to convince himself and everybody else. But uh, the other thing he might do is to punch somebody to defend her because he has to prove that he loves her, oh, right? So that's, that's um, topical, yeah. Me bring up the topical uh, Will Smith and uh, Chris Rock, right? The idea, and so this is, you know, me, uh, it's not fair of me to try to psychoanalyze. Uh, I love how you put that. I love how you got that into this episode. <laughs> it's not, not fair of me to psychoanalyze Will Smith, but when you, when I hear more of the dirt behind the story, you know, getting into the tabloids and everything, right? If he doesn't have a secure enough love already, right? Why does he have to prove himself, right? Why does he have to go on stage and punch somebody? Because he, he's got something to prove, right? That, that would be, if it's a reaction formation, if that's what's happening in his unconscious, I can't tell you that's what's happening in his unconscious. He would actually, actually have to look there and find that out, right? But I also really love this, this example when I heard about it this week, because it goes back to my example from before, right? The, uh, the sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can never hurt me, right? So- Chris Rock says a bunch of words, you know, maybe he is a, a bully, right? Like maybe he's, you know, maybe he's just a stand-up comic, right? But maybe Chris Rock is being a verbal bully, but, you know, I'm not going to tell you necessarily what I think or tell you what to think, right? About uh, Will Smith, but how is it seen in the media, right? Everyone in the media is talking about how Will Smith is a punk and can't control himself, right? So mm-hmm. that's where it's going to go, right? Whether or not Chris Rock was fair or not fair, you know, it's that, Will Smith didn't control himself. And he's you know, not just standing up for himself. He's standing up for his wife, right? That's what, that's what it would be. It goes back to these, these sayings of Odin, right? They, I think they help. One, and that's too, right? He's standing up for his wife, but now all the dirt about her history is being dragged into the news more, right? So did he really help the situation or not, right? But that's the main idea, right? To get conscious of these things so you don't act unconsciously, right? You don't walk up on stage and slap. Right? Maybe I said he punched him. He just slapped him, right? Uh, yeah, it was a slap. Yeah, but in any case, right? That we, We've seen from Independence Day how you know, Will Smith can knock out an alien with an actual punch. So we know it was a slap. He was, he was pulling his punches, right? I think that's fair enough. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. That, 
that, yeah, the more you get conscious of these things, the goal is that then you won't be acting on them unconsciously, right? You have to actually admit them to yourself or you're doing things you, you'd rather not be, right? So that's kind of some of these uh, wisdoms from, from Odin, right? On, uh, that's, that's how I kind of interpret it in terms of modern psychology things, right? So I don't know. But what, what are your thoughts, John, on how do we? I was actually going to ask you, like, of these, um, which one of these do you think Thor falls victim to the most? And like, I know you were talking more so about the, yeah, the defense mechanisms, because I know you were talking about like the trickster um, archetype, Mm -hmm. but like, I know you kind of went into like defense mechanisms and I think Thor definitely falls victim to many of these. When you you said something about that earlier, yeah, my one thought was that Thor Thor doesn't seem very complicated, right? So maybe he just gets gets angry, right? I'm not, I'm not sure if it comes out of all kinds of uh, complicated mental gymnastics behind why he does what he does. Uh, a good question to really look yeah, to really look at Thor, right? That he, my main thought is that, yeah, that he has all this power. And then he sees that, I use the metaphor, like when you're a, a hammer, every problem's a nail, right? That mm-hmm. because he has that strength, he doesn't think to try to use anything else, right? He just is going to try to solve it that way. Um, and yeah. that makes, that's, it's funny because like, if you, if you look at this episode, yes, he was humiliated this week by Utsgarda Loki slash Skrymir. And Utgard Loki like went out and tripped, like tricked him, but he also like supped, he also supped with him, provided him like shelter, you know, for a night. But then if you look back at last week's episode, Thor tried to kill Skrymir slash Utgard Loki because Thor was upset at himself for not being able to open a damn bag. Right. And Thor had no idea he was being tricked at that point, but he literally wanted to kill this giant because he was so pissed off, you know? And so that would be for Thor's like cognitive dissonance, right? It would be that, that all of his self-esteem is based on being the strongest. So then that actually makes him very fragile. Right, because yeah. if anything comes up where his strength isn't enough, then he does not know what to do with himself, right? And he can't handle that uh, reality, right? Whereas if he, you know, could try to solve a problem with his wits, even though he's not particularly witty, he's quite vulnerable to try to do that. But then he would know that he's not as one-dimensional, right? So I, th- you know, I think that's where I see. Well, well, I'll announce it at the beginning of the next episode if I find there was like one of the twelve defense mechanisms that obviously is Thor that I, I missed. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's a, I, thank you, Sean. Um. So, did you have anything else, or? No, I think that's it. Yeah, I had I've some uh, a book I'm reading about is called, talking about like the dragon archetype. Like the it's it's basically talking about like that. The <laughs> that's one of power. the twelve. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Wait, I think you, yeah, that's like one of the actual archetypes that are names. But no, this is one author. Uh, one author, um, Robert Moore. He he talks about this idea that he, he calls it the dragon. It's his label for the archetype, but it's that that lust for power. Um, aspect of Odin. It's the idea, right? That I don't I don't know if Odin on his own is a archetype because he's too complicated. But that part of Odin that is this lust for power, um, what is the harm that causes, right? But this kind of goes into some very dark aspects of one of his things he talked about is I've talked before about the shadow. There's an idea that you have a personal shadow and you have an archetypal shadow. The archetypal shadow is far too powerful. You should not try to bring that into yourself. But your personal shadow are just the things you reject about yourself. So yeah, I guess next week, because uh, Nori Starlison wants us to, we're going to be discussing Thor and his adventures as a fisherman. Sounds good. All right, John. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Bye.